We're going to be in Romans chapter 15, and as we um, spend the next few weeks together, uh, we look at this theme of hope is born. I was reading in November, uh, Dr. Michael Osterholm said this, over the course of the next 12 to 14 weeks are likely to be the darkest period in this entire pandemic. And as I read that, it's like, oh, man. And then I started hearing people say, hey, all the way till February, they're titling this the dark winter. And so we're supposed to only experience trouble, sickness, uh, death, problems. And my question that I wrote down when I heard that quote was, have people lost their hope? Are people doubting? Are people depressed? Are, are, are people having anxiety, worrying? Uh, is their hope uh, been dashed on the rocks with what has happened in 2020? And so the question for all of us is, what have we put our hope in in 2020? Have we put it in a mask? Have we put it in a vaccine? Have we put it in a, an election? Have we put it in a government? Have we put our hope in a job, our bank account? The list could go on. Have you put your hope in family members or friends? Many people are hoping for Christmas to be a joyful time. Many are looking forward to their traditional things they do at Christmas and decorating and going out doing things and singing Christmas songs. And people just want Christmas to be good. So what if next year falls apart? But they just want Christmas to be good. And so people have their hope in Christmas. The problem is, is that hope in Christmas is hope in a holiday. And I'll tell you this, hope in any holiday is not going to give you true hope. The holiday comes, you celebrate that day, and then it's over. I mean, every year I will read articles after the week of Christmas and into the first two weeks of January where people, it's like this depression that people go into because Christmas is over. All this hype, all the excitement, all this joy, hoping for that wonderful day. And then it's like by two o'clock in the afternoon and all the gifts are open. It's like, oh, going back to life. And that's because people put their hope in a holiday or they put it in something that brings no hope. It brings no security for anyone. Uh, last night we, we, we were visiting family and we just got home. Uh, and so last night, Jonathan, my son, he was told, you got to clean up your room. I was like, man, he, you left it a mess before we went out. And so I'm in there with him and, and he can't reach the hangers. So I'm putting stuff up there for him. And he says... I'll help you with your sermon if you help me put up my toys. And I said, all right, I'll help you do that. So we start picking it up and I said, all right, here's the question. You can help me with the sermon tomorrow. How do you get hope? And without pausing, he said, that's easy. You hope in God. I learned it in Sunday school. I was like, wow, there's the answer right there. And I was like, what? There's the end. I mean, hey, we can end right now. And I'd say, listen to my son, Jonathan. But what I'd say more importantly is you need to listen to the word of God. Because God's word, as we look at Romans chapter 15 today, points to the truthfulness of God's word, which is fulfilled in Christ, which we have uh, to understand and to have faith in Christ and learn. And so turn to Romans chapter 15. I've been praying that scripture would remind you or convince you to put your hope in Christ and not in anything else in the world. The big idea this morning, as we look at Romans 15 Give glory to God and praise his name for the hope that he gives through Jesus Christ, his son. 
Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 8. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask in this moment today that you would fill our hearts abundantly with hope in Jesus Christ for what he's done at the cross for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to the truth that we have just read. Help us have a greater understanding in how to apply it in our life. Father, may you be glorified in the preaching and the reading of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look at this year, 2020, it's been quite a divisive year, right? Would you say that there's a lot of division in 2020? Now, we could say that worldwide or the nationwide, but let's just talk about the church, not just Discovery Alliance, but Christians in America. If you have not heard this or talked with people about this, then, well, praise the Lord, you haven't run into someone. But there is much division in Christians in America because of what has happened this year relating to COVID-19 and the presidential election. There are Christians who are angry with each other. There are Christians who are not talking to one another. There are Christians who are avoiding church, not because of mandates or because of fear of the virus, because of division over these things. And some may wonder, why are we starting a a series on Christmas in Romans? We we just read Luke. Why are we going to? Because we need a foundation to understand hope. So that when we look at the manger, we understand God's plan of hope for his people. And so this morning, we need to remember the hope that a Christian has in Christ. And the book of Romans helps us with this. Because when the Apostle Paul writes the book of Romans, go back and read in chapter 14 and 15. He's telling Christians how to live and walk according to God's laws. And one of the things he addresses with the church is division. Just a few verses before this. And he basically lays it out. Division among the church is sin. It's sinfulness. Things that we just let fly from our mouth or ways that we reject other people. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to talk to those people because people are divided over worldly issues. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take a stand for things that are right with God's word. But what it does mean is that Christians are not to be so divided where Satan's cheering in the background. Because how can you celebrate the hope that you have in Christ while you're fighting among one another? 
This is what the Apostle Paul addresses. Basically reminds them. Here's God's plan. Here's God's plan of hope. And so let's look at this first point in verses 8 through 12. A plan of hope or a plan for hope that God has had a plan that brings hope for his people that he set out before he ever said, let there be light. Before God spoke the world into existence, God had a plan of hope to save his people from their sins because God knows all things. And so therefore he has a glorious plan and the Apostle Paul in this text, which we have read this morning, illustrates God's plan of salvation that he has for his people, the nation of Israel, the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And I believe when we understand more of what Paul is addressing, we can understand why this is such a glorious plan for all of God's people. In verse 8 He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. This is specifically hope for the Jews in verse eight, that Jesus Christ being born, coming as the Messiah is the one who gives hope to fulfill God's promises to Israel. If you've never read through the Old Testament, if you've never read through the book of Genesis, you need to go back and read. There's a man named Abraham and God speaks some wonderful promises to this man, Abraham, and says, I will do these things and I will fulfill them. And we see that in God's plan through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the son of God humbled himself. And what we mean by he humbled himself is that when Jesus Christ came to earth and born as a human, Jesus Christ, who is God, put on man, therefore being fully God and fully man. And he was born to a Jewish family. He was a Jewish man. Therefore, he is fulfilling the promises that were given to Abraham. And he fulfills a number of prophecies, which we will see in the next few weeks, that were spoken of and prophesied hundreds of years before he was born and lived his life and went to the cross and died and rose again. And there's still prophecies which he will fulfill, which is to return in all of his glory. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. As you turn to Genesis chapter 12, What Paul writes here in verse eight, he says again, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. You may see uh, pictures, titles, hear the word Advent at Christmas time. Some of you are like, oh, I know what Advent is. That word, this picture of, 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 this, of Jesus' first coming. There will be a second advent of his second coming when he returns. But we focus in on this first advent. And Paul says he came in that first advent to accomplish the truth of God's word. To fulfill the promises. And so in Genesis chapter 12 in verses 1 through 3. God calls a man Abraham. And just, hey, it comes from a family of idol worshipers. And in chapter 12 of Genesis, in verses 1 through 3, here's what the Lord says to Abram, which he later calls Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so if you were reading with me in that or hearing it read, there's three promises that God said to Abraham. I'm going to give you a land. He also explains that more in chapter 13 and chapter 15 as you follow the nation of Israel when they come out of uh, uh, slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt and they wander in the desert and they eventually come to the promised land. He says, I will give you this land that I have for you. But the second promise says, I'll make you a great nation. If you don't know the story of Abram, who becomes Abraham and and, and his wife, Sarah, they don't have children until they're almost 100 years old. And God says, I told you that you would have a son. They try to make their own plan through one of Sarah's servants. He says, no, that's not how I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a child. Sarah laughs about it because I'm too old to have a kid. And God then rebukes her and they they have a child. And so God, through that child, comes the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. God fulfills that promise of a land and also of a people. He says, Abraham, your name will be great. Many people around this world, not even Christians, know the name of Abraham. But did you see what it says there in verse 3? And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This pointing to all the people from all the nations, all the tribes, all the corners of the world. They will be blessed because of Abraham and his line pointing to God's plan to send the Messiah to his people. When you think of this, when you read the Bible, if you've never read through the entire Bible, read through the Bible, because what you will see is God's plan from the beginning to the end. And it's glorious and it's amazing and it's astounding when you think there is no way a person could figure out how to write this and just come up with some plan. It's because it's the holy word of God. And God revealing his truth to us and his glorious plan of salvation for his people. And so when we read back in Romans in verse 8, we see that Jesus, when he came, born in the manger, lived a life, never sinned, went to the cross, rose from the tomb. He fulfilled the promises all the way back to Abraham. And it says in verse 8, he proved God's truthfulness. Maybe you've spoken to people or heard people attack the word of God and say, well, it's, it's not true. It's, it's really not God's word. We don't know. And then all these things. Oh, well, there's discrepancies here and there whatsoever. And what they do is they miss all of the wonderful things that Jesus came to prove and show the truthfulness of God's word. The number of people over my lifetime that I've met that have come to faith in Christ and they would argue adamantly against the truthfulness of God's word. And then the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to see that Jesus Christ is the son of God who fulfilled all of the promises and all of the prophecies. And they're astounded. And the Holy Spirit stirs their heart and causes them to be born again. They believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, Jesus came as hope for the Jews, but we also see in verses 9 through 12, hope for the Gentiles, these other nations, the people from all the corners of the earth, that Jesus Christ born in the manger, 
should and does bring hope to the Jews, but it also brings hope to those who are outside the nation of Israel, the Gentiles, and it gives all a reason to glorify God. Look at verse 9. It says that in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his what? What's it say there in verse 9? What are they glorifying God for? Man, you guys, you speak louder. What does it say? I heard like mumblings. It says glorify God for what? His mercy. Something to glorify God for. When you think of who we are apart from Christ... It's clear that we are sinners. And it's clear when the Holy Spirit strikes our heart that the only thing that we should deserve is death, eternal death. But when we think of the cross and what Christ did there, we think of his mercy and we think of his grace because there's nothing in us. There's nothing that we've ever done that God should then say, I'm going to pour out my mercy and grace upon those people. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called mercy. Because God freely gives that to his people. And so the Gentiles have hope in Jesus Christ. And what Paul does in verses 9 through 12, he quotes four, uh, five passages of scripture. It says, and it says this, and it says this, and it says this. So that it helps us understand why the Gentiles have hope. See, it was necessary for God to display his mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, by including Gentiles into his family, into the kingdom of God. And when you read the book of Romans, you need to read the book of Romans. If you haven't read the book of Romans, go read the book of Romans this week and you will see that that it's constantly pointing out that the Gentiles are a part of God's saving plan, not just sending Jesus for the nation of Israel. And therefore it's wonderful. And the Gentiles can praise God. For his mercy upon them. Look at verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God. For his mercy as it is written. So when you see in the word of God. As it is written. You may need to look in a footnote. Or if you're, if you're online. Maybe there's a footnote. Click on that. It will generally point out a reference. To another place in scripture. That is quoted by the apostle Paul. Or by a New Testament writer. Or even when Jesus says. As it is written. You need to pay attention. And don't just read it here. But actually go back and read it in the Old Testament. Where it's quoted. Read the whole chapter. Find out the context. Why would the apostle Paul write these things? Because he says in verse 9, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Well, he's quoting a passage in 2 Samuel, if you want to turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 22. In verse 15, or 50 and 51. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. It's also quoted in Psalm chapter 18, verse 49. And if you see, wait, it's talking about King David. And the nation of Israel. Well, if you go and read through that again, if you also read in Psalm 1849, it's specifically a prophecy about Jesus and his kingdom. 
pointing to that the salvation for the Gentiles come through the nation of Israel and the Jewish people because of Jesus, the Messiah. And therefore, Jesus, the Messiah, came at the first advent as a servant. Not just that he humbled himself by becoming a man, adding humanity to himself, but he became a servant to live perfectly and to die so that his people could be saved. Verse 10, he says again, and again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43 and verse 11. He says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles and let all the peoples extol him. And when I was reading that this week, turn to Psalm 117. Psalm 117, there's two verses. You say, how is that a chapter? Well, there's two verses here. When you read this, I'll read this to you here. Think about the Gentiles. It says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Think about this and ask this question. How is that possible? Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. And we all say, praise the Lord. Amen. I think sometimes we can read the book of Psalms and we can read a chapter like those two verses. And we just say, praise the Lord. And we lose what's actually being stated in that. Because if you ask, wait a minute, it says all the nations. How is that possible when we look at God's plan and his promises to Abraham? That no Gentile, I mean, go back before Christ comes to the earth. No Gentile has any way of just, hey, praising God. They're worshiping idols. They're worshiping all kinds of other things. They've not been given any hope. They don't know the promises of Abraham. They don't know the covenant that God has made with his people. They are considered by the Jewish people, the dirty dogs that live out there. Don't even trust those people. They're filthy. They're dirty. They break all of God's laws. And so you would say, wait a minute, what is King David? What is being written here? Because it says that all of the nations will praise the Lord. Well, what it is, it's prophecy. It's prophecy of what would happen. What is to come that Gentiles from all the nations of the earth would praise the Lord God Almighty because of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. I think that when we understand God's plan and specifically his purpose for it, uh, we have a greater picture of God. Because when we reflect on God's plan of salvation, his purpose for why he sent Jesus, what he has promised to do and has done and will do, it causes the believer's heart to well up with joy. It causes the believer to praise God. And so in a year where there's all kinds of trouble and we've all we've done is debate and argue and watch hours and hours of the news and, and wrestle with this and that and argue over all those things, what has happened? is we fill our time uh, that's needed to hope in Christ with things of the world. 
So what happens? People are sad. People are depressed. People are angry. And then what do we do? We respond in sin towards one another. And you have churches and Christians who are divided and Satan cheers. And it's sin. But when we reflect on God's purpose and his plan of salvation, the whole purpose of his plan of salvation is that he would be glorified and that he would be glorified among all of the nations. He quotes one more passage. It's in verse 12 here. It says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. And again, you, sometimes you just skim over this. And if you haven't spent time in God's word, or understand you're like, OK, what's that mean? The root of Jesse. Who is that? Uh, what does this have to do with anything? And he's quoting the Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. You need to read Isaiah chapter 11 this week, specifically in Isaiah chapter 11 and previously right before that in chapter 10. Isaiah is speaking of a huge, vast forest, and he's talking about it being just cut down. I mean, imagine, or maybe you've been in a place or seen a picture of a large area that was all at one time, all these beautiful trees, and they're all just cut down. Looks pretty desolate. It's a description of the nation of Israel. And then it says the root of Jesse will come, this picture that there's going to be one shoot that springs up out of the vast of this forest being cut and cut down. And what Isaiah was speaking of was the Messiah, Jesus Christ, coming from the, from the line of David. Jesse is King David's father. And there was a promise that was given to King David, going back all the way to Abraham. <clears throat> Look at, ver- at chapter Isaiah, verses 11, and also in verse 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Look at verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Because Isaiah, at that moment, when the nation of Israel is in despair, and they're living in darkness, he offers them hope. When you read a lot of the prophets of the Old Testament and the prophecies, it's always just doom and it's always gloom. And in the midst of this moment, when the Assyrians are ready to take out the nation of Israel, Isaiah gives hope and says, hey, even though this is all going to be cut down, there's going to be a shoot that arises. And it's that promised Messiah. And therefore, there's hope that this shoot is going to come. And not only bless and benefit and bring salvation to God's people, the nation of Israel. But here it again, it says to all the nations of the world. Go back to Romans chapter 15 in verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles and let all the peoples extol him. Verse 12. And again, Isaiah says the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles. What? I thought you guys got better than this from the last time. It's right there in the text. Verse 12. Even if you have a different version. I was looking at different ones. You got a key word there. In him will the Gentiles what? Hope. The word hope here is to expect to be actively waiting for God's fulfillment of the faith 
that he grants through the power of the Holy Spirit and his love. This is so important. No one can have hope in anything in who they are or in their works, anything they say, anything they do. You can't have hope in anything that is of yourself or of this world. And so what's really important is this. For anyone to have hope in Christ, they must hear the preaching of the gospel. And what I mean by that is not just someone who stands in a pulpit who preaches the gospel, but God's people through his word, declaring with their lips the gospel. Recently, I was with some people and a person was arguing against this, saying, no, people can come to Christ. Yes, they need to hear the gospel. But this person said, my gospel is much bigger. And so by the things that I do, people can come to Christ. And it's like, wait, no, let's be clear. Romans chapter 10, Paul is very clear that the gospel must be preached. A person must hear it so that they can believe in faith. Yes, you are called to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10. We're not saved by those good works, but you've been created after faith in Christ to do good works. So as you go out and do good works and live among a dark world, we pray that people would see Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. That's what we desire. But a person seeing Christ in us saves no one. How many people in this world that are still living in darkness have seen you do wonderful things in the name of Jesus? They're not saved. It's clear. There is a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful time of the year that we celebrate the Advent, the first coming of Christ that points to this wonderful, glorious plan of salvation. A time, especially a year, when people are desperate, people are wanting hope. And you have, if you're a believer, the hope in Christ, the plan that you can lay out for them from Scripture. And you can point them to the manger and say, look to the cross and the empty tomb. You can point people to this wonderful plan that we're looking at, which Paul is pointing out today, because God's plan of hope involved a baby being born in a manger who would grow up and become a man. God's plan of hope was that this man would give up his life on a cross, dying in the place of his people for their sins. God's plan of hope was that this man would on the cross receive the wrath of God the Father for the sins of his people. And God's plan of hope was that this man would not only die there, receive the wrath of God, but he'd be placed in a tomb on on the third day, being raised from death to life, pointing to all the world that this man, Jesus Christ, is not just a man, but he's God. And because he was raised from death to life, He's ascended to heaven. He's returning one day. The Jew and the Gentile can have hope for all of eternity. It says the Gentiles hope in verse 12. But without that declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, people continue to walk in darkness. 
We must pray and say, Lord, during this time, when so many people are separated. I mean, I was uh, uh, listening on the radio this last week about people who are planning their Thanksgiving meals on Zoom or, or on, on Internet where either they were uh, too far away, they couldn't travel together, but they were spending time together and they were talking about how strange that would be. But to think of the moment that the fact that, that we have technology, that even if you're not with people, the people that you know who are lost in this world, that you can through technology speak declare, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that they may hear and the Holy Spirit would stir their hearts and that they may believe and be saved. Well, after the Apostle Paul lays out this plan of hope, reminding of this so that in in being remembering what Christ has done, they would then examine how they are as a church and that division would be something that flees. He says a prayer. Verse 13, we see a prayer of hope for God's people by the Apostle Paul at the end of this letter. And as he prays, he prays with confidence that the believers would understand the plan of hope and they would be set free from the division and that they would love one another and walk in the way that God has uh, called them to do. Look there at Romans chapter 15. Verse 13, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in what? In hope. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's the first thing that he prays. And if you see, do you see who he's praying to here? He says, the God of hope. I mean, you think about it. What a glorious name. Jesus tells the disciples, when you pray, pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But we also need to pray, God of hope, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Think of the words there. Think of the title. Think of the declaration of what is being said. The God of hope, not the God of war, not the God of peace, not the God of of rain and lightning and all these types of gods. You look through all of history and all the idols, all the gods that are worshipped. There's not the God of hope. Jesus Christ, the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing in this prayer as he addresses the God of hope he prays that the believer that if you are a follower of Christ today the prayer is for you that you would be abundantly filled up with joy and peace in believing in him if you ever take uh, i don't know a, a glass or whatever and take some water and just start filling it or or we've got this uh, uh i don't know water thing coming out of the the sink and you put the uh, cup there but you can flip the uh, the little thing up and it just keeps going you go or get something in the kitchen i don't know how many times our family has left that switch on and all of a sudden you hear water running off the counter and it's like oh grab a towel and we're, you know it's so it's like i picture that of god God's abundantly filling his people to overflowing with peace and joy. And the joy comes because you have peace with God. You're no longer an enemy. Therefore, his prayer is that God's people would be filled abundantly, overflowing with the peace of God that results in joy so that the division flees. And the love of Christ for one another is seen 
wonder how many people in this world have seen Christians recently fighting and division. And it has caused uh, such a, um, I don't know, just a mar on the picture of Jesus. They don't see the God of hope in God's people because there's so much turmoil over this is what I believe and they're wrong. This is what I'm going to do and they're doing wrong. He prays that they would be abundantly filled with joy and peace in believing. Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 8 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. In John chapter 14 verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I don't know if your heart is troubled today. I don't know if you have fears today, but you need to be reminded of the words of Christ there and what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, that you have, as a believer, peace with God. You are no longer going to go to death for eternity in hell because through faith in Christ and the work of Jesus on the cross, You've been saved and you've been set free and you're not a slave to sin, but you've been adopted as a child of God with the inheritance of heaven set before you. But the greater inheritance is not just heaven, it's Jesus Christ. And he says so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because I, I'm not sure about you, but you ever had times where the joy and the peace goes up and down? You ever felt that? You're like, man, I hear what you're saying. I'm all for hope in Christ. But I don't feel very peaceful today. And I don't feel very joyful. You don't know what has happened. It's part of our life as a believer. And the battle because of sin that still remains in life. And the trouble in this world. That Jesus never promised that everything would be great. When we're at eternity, yes. But you have these ups and downs. And so it's important that you see in verse 13, he prays so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, in no way will you ever in your lifetime be able to stir up enough peace with God and joy that overflows from your heart. You cannot do it. I don't care how many things you're like, I'm going to go help this person. I'm going to do this. Whatever. I just feel good when I do these things. Well, you know what? You can't do any of that stuff unless the Holy Spirit fills you up and sends you out and empowers you to go and do that. It doesn't happen on our own human power, mind, whatever. It's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he prays this, that his, the purpose in his prayer at the end of verse 13 is this, that you may abound in what? You should have it by now. Hope. That is what the believer should have as we await the return of Christ. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we wait for the return of Christ, the hope that we have that he's fulfilled his promises, he's fulfilled these prophecies, and he will fulfill the final prophecy, prophecy and his promise that he will return, that we will reflect in the glorious plan of God's salvation for the Jew and for the Gentile that are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> With that, therefore, our response must be 
to give glory to to the God of hope. Uh, This Christmas, over the next four weeks, don't just celebrate some worldwide holiday of gift-giving, decorating things, celebrating, and time together. Glorify God for his great plan of salvation, which offers hope to those who are in Christ. It's a time that we praise God. We sing these songs about Jesus Christ and the birth of Christ. We give thanks for God that he loved us so much that he would send his son for us. We reflect on the prophecies that Jesus Christ has fulfilled, pointing to the truth of God and his word. And in the midst of our peace and our joy going up and down, may we be people who are focused on Jesus Christ and what he has done. As the worship team comes forward, I want to read one more passage from the book of Psalms, chapter 30. May this be a great reminder and encouragement to you to look to the cross, to the empty tomb, to the return of Christ in the midst of a troubling world. Psalm chapter 30, verses 4 and 5. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Much joy in Christ, because peace with God. Hope that can fill our hearts. Father, I pray that in the midst of this moment, we pray to you, the one who is our God of hope, the one who is our solid rock, our redeemer, our savior, Jesus. We thank you that you were obedient to the heavenly father and that you came and gave your life for us. Father, we pray that in this time over the weeks to come, as we lead to a point of Christmas that you would help our eyes and ears to be open to seeing those living in darkness, those who need to hear the declaration of this great, wonderful, and glorious plan of yours. Father, I pray that in this midst of this time that you would fill us abundantly with peace that results in joy because of hope in Christ. Father, for all who are far from you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation and that they would believe in Jesus Christ crucified for their sins, risen again and returning, and that you would save them. Father, let this time during Christmas not just be a holiday. Let it be a celebration, giving glory to God, giving glory to you for what you have done to save us. In Jesus' name, amen.